Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently published a new book titled Bible Crawling, Finding Joy in God by Journaling Through the Psalms. You can find Olin's book on whipandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F and stock.com, as well as amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. We're going to look at Psalm 27. We don't know exactly when this psalm was written. And I really like it when you can study the psalms and you know when it was written. But it's good, God's ordained it, that some psalms are in the Bible and you don't know when it was written. And you can't even tell. Some people think it was maybe David is thinking back on past military victories he'd had. Or maybe he's anticipating new fights to come and he's getting ready for the battle. Why do we have psalms sometimes that we're not even sure exactly when they were written? Well, I think one reason is then the principles can apply more broadly. Because sometimes you read a psalm and you're like, you do have the historical historical context, you say, I can't really identify with that historical context. Well, whatever you're dealing with, God's Word applies. So here's what I want us to think about this morning. God made us as physical and spiritual beings. We're united. We're intertwined. And it's really hard to tell where your, your mind and your soul, uh, one stops and the other starts. And so part of the Christian life is seeing, knowing, understanding, believing truth. Rational doctrine. God gave you a brain. He wants you to use it. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. That's important. But God is also giving us feelings. Or if you're not comfortable with that word, Jonathan Edwards would talk about the affections, which are really just kind of your feelings plus the will, your desires. Now, those two things ought to perfectly align. Right? I mean, part of what I think John Piper has done such a good job of in his ministry is... Seeing and savoring Jesus Christ. Those type of things. You have to know the truth. It's not enough just to know the truth. You've got to love the truth. Right? You've got to delight in the truth. But all of us, in different times and different ways, to some degree we have a gap. Do we not? What I say I believe, what I think I believe, and what I, in some sense I really do believe. It's rationally true. My feelings and affections and thus will and choices don't always exactly line up. Let's just take a very simple example. Most of us would say, you know, eating healthy, more fruits and vegetables, less dessert, beer, whatever it may be, would probably be better for me. But it's like, uh, I'm already married. I don't need six-pack abs. Pass the cheesecake, right? Okay, hypothetically. I can't imagine that any of you would ever say anything like that, but somebody out there would. And, and, And it goes much further in other areas of life. Now, how do you deal with this gap? I mean, part of Christian maturity is dealing with this gap between what you think and say you believe and then what you feel to be true and thus act on. There's two different ditches on both sides of the road that we're prone to fall into. One I'll call the the radical reformed view. And it's a little bit like this. It's like, hey, truth is what matters. Doctrine. Get your mind right. What you feel, not really that important. Just know the truth. Okay? Um, but then there's a danger of, do, do I really experience the truth enough that it really transforms the way I live? Okay? I'll give you another example. I mean, I, I bet everybody in this room could name somebody that at some point has said, I'm against divorce. I'm committed to my spouse. And now they're divorced today. At some level, they said they believed it. They didn't believe it enough when push came to shove. 
Well, I've fallen in love with somebody else. My feelings are taking me this way. So, the other extreme, the other ditch on the other side of the road, I'll call the crazy charismatic. And it's real light on doctrine. It's like, listen, as long as you've got passion, as long as you've got faith, as long as you feel it, as long as you jump up and down and sing a lot and loud and pat, that's what really matters. You know, all these doctrinal questions, ah, let's don't get bogged down in the details. Let's just be passionate for Jesus. Now, part of the maturity for all of us is knowing which ditch we're prone to fall in. Again, the crazy charismatic ditch, if you fall in that ditch, you probably don't go to Briarwood. There are other large churches in town that you're probably attracted to, right? We tend to veer a little bit closer to doctrine is what matters and feelings are a distant second. But know yourself. And the other thing, no matter which ditch you're more prone to, it's very easy to throw rocks at the other ditch, is it not? For us doctrinalists, like those just people, they're just weak-minded, so passionate, but you know, it's, it's fluff, it's cotton candy, there's nothing to it. And they look at us and frozen chosen, just dead orthodoxy. And I'm not saying there's never a time to critique somebody across the aisle. There certainly is. But it's the get the log out of your own eye before you try to get the speck out of your own eye. What, what, where, where's the gap in our life and how do we deal with it? So, biblical balance. I think there's two steps if you, want, if you want to mature, if we want to move forward. Number one, you have to be honest about where the gap is. When you become aware of it, be honest about it. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to stuff it. i got a gap here. I say I believe this. But then if you look at the way I live, so I, I guess I don't believe it enough. Be honest about it. But then, don't be content with the gap. Because I, I've met people before like, yeah, you know, I know that I'm not really living up to my beliefs, but nobody does. I'll, what's the big deal, right? Like, no, it is a big deal. Be honest about the gap. Don't be content with the gap. So here, if you walk away with one thing this morning, here it is. I'm giving it to you up front. Good prayer, good meditation is forcing feelings from facts. It's reading, it's studying, it's meditating on the facts, the truth of God's Word until it affects my feelings. That's, that's when you know you've really met with God. You've really worshipped. You've really connected. And hopefully as we do that, the gap becomes smaller. My feelings and my facts, they begin to align. So, the first thing. Forcing feelings from fear to confidence. From fear to confidence. Let's read the first six verses of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Now just pause there. If I asked you, do you believe Psalm 27.1 is true? How many of you would say, yes, I believe it's absolutely true? And I would say, okay, when's the last time that you've been fearful? When's the last time that you've been scared? Most of us don't have to think back very long, right? It's not like, well, it was... 14 years ago before I started believing this verse. But since I started believing this verse, I've never been fearful again. doesn't work that way. We still struggle with fear, even though we say, the Lord's my light, my salvation. I shouldn't fear anybody. He's my defense. I shouldn't have any fear. Verse 2. When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. I've mentioned this in here before, but I'll mention it again. We've all heard the phrase, preach the gospel. To ourselves, so important. But kind of a secondary corollary to that is preach your own history to yourself. 
Look back on the history of your own life. There's something so powerful. I mean, I was speaking at the Impact Weekend, uh, so if you had a child there and it was terrible, it's my fault, I'm sorry. Uh, but it hit me as I was driving my daughter, just turned 16, it's the summer between her freshman and sophomore year, and I'm driving her up there, and I'm like, anything you want me to pray for you this weekend? And she's been my family long enough to know she has to answer that question, right? She's like, no, Dad. Like, that. So she's like, uh, pray that I would have fun and that I would grow spiritually, you know, okay. And it, it just didn't hit me into this because, listen, it's a tough crowd speaking to a bunch of high schoolers, right? Especially when they don't get much sleep. I was excited to do it, but there's also a part of me that's like, man, I'm putting all this time in prep and, are they even going to be listening and paying attention? And I think I was talking to John. You teach the, if you ever get a chance to teach the high school group, do it. It's great for humility because you get nothing. You get no feedback just because it's not cool to give feedback to the Christian speaker. But as I'm driving my daughter, it hit me. I said, you know what? The biggest turning point in my entire life as far as what I remember, what I experienced, was the summer between my freshman and sophomore year at a youth camp. It's when my life made a radical 180. And so I just thought of that. I kind of told my daughter. She was totally unimpressed with that story, right? <laughs> I don't think she needs a radical 180, praise the Lord. So she's not, she didn't have the freshman year of high school that I did. But I dropped her off, and it helped me. It fueled my prayer life. I'm like, God, you did something crazy in a 15-year-old boy who was far from you, who was arrogant, who was stubborn, who was, I mean, I sinned more my freshman year of high school than I think I've literally sinned the rest of my life put together. I packed it in. And then God just changed me. Oh my God, if you did it then, you can do it for some of these knuckleheads. And again, you can use a donkey like me. Meditate and preach your own history to yourself. Charles Spurgeon said, confidence is the child of experience. Part of how David could be such a great leader, how he could face so many different surrounding nations that were coming after him. He's like, when I was a teenager boy, I was killing giants. But it wasn't a boast in his own strength. It was a boast in the Lord his God. God used me in the past. He can use me again. It's great to do that. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Now he's looking forward. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. So as he meditates on the past, as he preaches the truth to himself, there's a sense of confidence that starts to come out of fear. And this, guys, this ought to be happening to some degree in our prayer life on a regular basis. Just, my guess is you've already figured this out, but it's one of those things that, at least for me, I have to keep figuring out because it's such a frustrating reality. It's like, God... When am I going to get to the place where you just zap me and I take such a massive step forward in the sanctification process, I just don't really struggle with sin anymore. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but I don't really struggle anymore. It's kind of like I'm just free and running and sprinting. It doesn't happen. The, the Lord is going to keep you in a day. Why did Jesus teach us to pray every day? Give us each day. Our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Because he knew every day there's going to have to be this intimate abiding. We're going to have to be clinging to him. He doesn't... Imagine if I said to one of my sons going off to college, Hey, buddy, I got all this money for you. 
I got $100,000 for you. I don't. I wish I did. That'd be great. I got $100,000 for you. Here it is. It's just in gold bullion, right? Or a check or something. It's yours. I probably wouldn't hear from him for a long time, right? Because he's not going to run out of money. He doesn't have to call. But when it's like, hey, when you need the money, you give me a call. It's amazing how much you hear, right? And God the Father likes that daily dependence, the coming, the asking, the wrestling. Okay? And fear dissipates when we meditate on the reality of God's goodness in a fresh way. He, he's not going to... Have you ever done this? Have you ever thought about, what if there's a war? You know, I know people in the military that say, it's not, a, it's not if, it's when there's war between America and China. Like high-ranking officers that will say that. What if that happens? What if China wins, right? They're not doing all the woke stuff with their military. They're teaching them how to kill people. I mean, what if America, while we're alive, is taken over by communist China, and they're like, hey, we're executing Christians. How many people show up on Sunday morning? You ever, you ever, you ever done that thought experiment on yourself? And you start to think this. Uh, I'm not sure I got the faith to wake up and put my kids in the car. Maybe for myself, but I'm putting my wife and kids in the car and drive them up there to go to prison camp? I don't know if I've got the, the strength for that. You probably don't. God doesn't promise to give you the grace that you don't need. But if He puts you in that situation, He'll give you the grace in the moment. Does that make sense? And guys, this is why it's so important every morning to wake up. Lord, give me the grace I need today. Give me the strength I need today. Give me the confidence I need today. And not just, I had a really great, if I, I just told y'all, biggest turning point in my life when I was 15 years old in the mountains of North Carolina, I think. But if I was still trying to live off of that one experience, I'd probably be in a gutter somewhere, dead under a bridge. It's got to be a daily asking, receiving, wrestling with the Lord, getting the grace that we need for today. Here's John Calvin. You have to quote Calvin once a quarter or you get fired, and I don't think I've done it this quarter, so here it is, okay? John Calvin. As it were, he brings together matter for confidence, for it is necessary that the saints earnestly wrestle with themselves to repel or subdue the doubts which the flesh is so prone to cherish. Don't you feel that? It's like the sin inside of me, it's like it likes to cherish doubt and fear. And I have to wrestle with myself and recall things to push it down, to push it out. From the high tower of our confidence, we can look down upon all our dangers with contempt. So after I've meditated and prayed, there ought to be a sense where I can look down on all the danger and kind of sneer at it. I can laugh at tomorrow, whatever it brings. But with the promises of God before our eyes and the grace which they offer, when God, therefore, kindly allures us to Himself and assures us that He will take care of our safety since we have embraced His promises or because we believe Him to be faithful, it is right that we highly extol His power that it may ravish our hearts with admiration of Himself. Again, this is John Calvin. This is not a crazy charismatic. Okay? Talking about your heart being ravished with admiration of God. Is that happening for us? Listen, it, I think for the greatest saint on planet earth, it probably won't happen every day. But it ought to be happening more and more frequently if you really want to grow. Now look at verse 4. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. 
One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell on the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. He's saying, God, I just want to be close to you. He's probably thinking about the priest who got to live at the temple, the tabernacle close to the ark of God all the time. He's like, that's what I want. And he's probably in this prayer time. I mean, have you ever had a prayer time where you feel like the Lord comes close? The Holy Spirit maybe illuminates a verse that maybe you've literally read a thousand times and it's like it's jumping off the page almost like God is speaking to you personally. And your heart is ravished and there's a sense of worship. Right? And you almost feel like maybe I want to go be charismatic for a minute. And in a sense, David is probably having an experience like that. He's like, I want to live here. I want this to be the norm. I want this to be every day. I want you. I want closeness. I want intimacy with you. Your beauty is his attributes. Jonathan Edwards said, where you really see the beauty of God, it's the juxtaposition of attributes that seemingly don't go together. But in Christ they do, right? He's the lion and he's the lamb. he's, He's high and he's holy and he's powerful and yet he comes low and he's tender and he's gentle. And you spend time wrestling and meditating until you see, you taste and see his goodness. Here's Tim Keller. We try to look and look because we want it imprinted on our mind for future replication and recall. He is referring to the difference between intellectually knowing God is great and actually finding a sense of God's greatness and glory in the heart. So to gaze is essentially the same as meditation. We ponder, reflect, and meditate on God's person and attributes and deeds until we find them becoming spiritually real to our hearts. Beauty refers to how God becomes spiritually satisfying us. Something is beautiful when we just enjoy it for itself. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord means to find Him ravishing and satisfying just for who He is in Himself. Adoration is asking for nothing but God Himself. So let me tell you a, a personal experience I had of this. I have to go way back, but I think maybe you'll be able to identify. I was a sophomore in college. I had met Lena. She's a couple years older than I am. I was smitten. Uh, I asked her on a date. She said yes. And it was one of those times where... It was as though God spoke to me. In my mind, put a thought in my mind I knew I didn't put there. He's like, you are not mature enough to get into a serious dating relationship. And she's a senior about to graduate. I'm a sophomore, just asked her out. I think I won the lottery, and it's like the Lord's saying, no. So we go on this great date, right? And everything's going wonderful. And as I'm dropping her off at the sorority house, I'm like, hey, I, uh, this is going to be really weird. You know, it's like, I really like you. I just don't think I'm in a place where I need to get into any kind of serious relationship. We were friends already, right? So now I've kind of crossed the Rubicon to ask her out on a romantic date. And she's like, well, then what are we doing? Because she was about to graduate. She was at a place where she could seriously start thinking about marriage. I said, yeah, you're right. We, we just We probably don't need to spend much time with each other anymore. And so I backed up. There was a line of guys waiting, you know, to proceed and... Go after her. And so I remember walking through the food court at times and I'd see her talking to other guys and I wanted to punch a hole in their face or the wall or something. But I was like, no, you know, i got to go back. I, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm surrendered. I'd try to read my Bible and I'd just be, all I could do is think about her. So I went out one day and I was outside and I took Romans 8.28. Now, I, I think Romans 8.28, other than the gospel, is the most important truth for Christians to believe. So here's what I, I was taking Romans 8.28. God works all things together for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. I'm like, do I believe that? Yes. 
Do I feel like I believe that right now? I'm like, no. I feel miserable. I feel angry. I feel sad. I feel confused because I'm thinking, I think this is the greatest girl I've ever met, and she's the one for me, and I feel like God is saying, no, not now. And so I don't like it, right? The belief was over here. Romans 8, 28 is true. The feeling was way over here. It's like, doesn't seem true. I prayed, I wrestled, I meditated, and here's what started to happen in my mind. I'm just trying to give you an example of how this works off now. So wait a second. If Romans 8, 28 is really true, what does it mean in my dating life? Because I, I had plenty of reasons to be convinced. I do not have the gift of singleness. Well, it either means this, because I've, I've met Lenham, and so if she really is the best one, and I'm, I feel convinced that, God's going to bring her back around one day. Or, if not, God must going to be bringing me somebody better. Because Romans 8, 28, he's going to do his best. And at some point, literally, I'm sitting there praying, the peace that passes all understanding, it started to guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It wasn't just knowledge anymore. It was feeling. It was sensation. It was calm. It was see her on campus talking to another guy and just wave and smile and not worry about it and keep walking. Forget about it. And eventually God did bring it back around, right? But, but the point is, when you're dealing with fear, worry, whatever it may be, take the truth of God, get specific, and in a sense, screw it down into your personal life situation and meditation and prayer until you start to sense the reality of it, and there ought to be a sense of rest in your soul. Okay? That's what David is doing here. Verse 5, For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. So he's like, even if an army comes again, I have rest. I know God will protect me. Verse 6, And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. The fear is gone. Praise has come. Here's Spurgeon again. The pendulum of spirituality swings from prayer to praise. Do you experience that in your life? I mean, I hope you've seen this pattern. It shows up in almost every song. It starts, there's prayer. I got all these needs. And then all, and this really happens in almost every psalm, except for one. By the very end, there's a sense of everything's going to be fine. God's in charge. I'm happy. I'm confident. I'm singing songs. I'm writing songs. It's really good. Okay. Um, even, even if you're, you're wrestling with something like this, or go back to the China example. And no offense to China. I'm just using another country. We'll use North Korea. All right, we'll pick on somebody else. It's going to come in, attack America. It's going to be it's like, what if I die? Well, if you're in Christ, to depart is better by far. I mean, Job said in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I mean, there, there is the foundation of the basement of faith. God can do whatever he wants to me, and I trust him. I trust his goodness even when all of life and reality and circumstances seems to scream something at me differently. I'm going to have confidence. I'm not going to give in to fear. So when you're struggling with fear, pray and meditate to force your feelings to confidence. And the second part of the psalm, when you feel forsaken, pray and meditate, very similar, to force your feelings to courage so that you can lead or do whatever God's calling you to do. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. 
Now, verse 8 can be a little bit of a strange verse. But in a sense, here's what he's, he's saying. God, you have told me to do things like read the Word of God, pray, worship, go to church. And I'm not sinlessly perfect, but I'm doing my best to apply all your commands to obey. So I need you to show up. I need you to answer. I need you to bless. I need you to keep your part of the covenant and the promise. And he always does. There's a sense of what, remember Elijah. Elijah built the altar, but God has to make the fire fall. God, I'm doing everything I can to put myself in the place of blessing, under the spigot of blessing. That's what the means of grace really are. The Bible, Word, church, all that. It's, God, I'm here. Now I want to get wet with your presence, so to speak. Okay? Um, verse 9. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Guys, just in that one verse, do you see the back and forth? God, don't, don't leave me. Don't forsake me. He's like, you never have abandoned me before. But it's like, ah, oh, this, this next thing I'm about to face, it seems really bad. I need courage. Help me. He's wrestling. Verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Now, there is no evidence that David was ever actually abandoned by his mother and father. What's he doing here? This is David's example of the Chinese and North Korea example I just gave you. He's saying, worst case scenario, what if my own family turned on me? I mean, I've had my country turn on me. What if my own family turned on me? Even then, even then, God would never turn on me. Okay? It's good to do sometimes. Let me give you another example. I had a friend, and uh, he had worked at a job. And he got to a point where he's just like, you know what, I, I, don't, I think I've gone as far as I can in this role. I'm actually not helping this place anymore. And really honorably, he just went and resigned. Now, I don't think it was the smartest decision. He didn't have another job. And he didn't have a wife and three little kids. But they were uh, very excited about his honesty. And they kind of agreed, yeah, you probably hit your ceiling. So they gave him a nice severance. But as the severance was going, he was not able to find a new job. And as it was coming to an end, he really was starting to panic. And at one point... His wife was like, well, what's worst case scenario? And he's like, worst case scenario is we run out of money. There's literally no money in the bank account, and I don't have a job, and neither do you. That's worst case scenario. She said, okay, play it out. What will we do if that happens? He said, well, I guess we'll have to move back to Tennessee and live with my mom and dad and live off of them for a while. And she said, great, then that's what we'll do. And just from that, kind of going back and forth, it brought him a sense of peace. It's not the end of the world. And he got a job really soon. So, guys, when there's a sense of fear, forsakenness, meditate on the Word of God, screw it down to the reality of the situation you're dealing with until there comes a sense of peace, confidence, and courage. Okay? Even if you have to imagine the worst-case scenario. Verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. He's like, God, people are out to get me. And I'm trying my best to walk the straight and narrow. But it's not always clear. Have you ever been in situations like that? Like it's like, Lord, if you would make it abundantly clear to me exactly what you want me to do, I promise I'd do it. I just don't have the wisdom to figure out the best path. That's a good prayer to pray. I, I think when you really get there to that level of surrender and you're begging God, just make it clear. God tends to answer those prayers. James 1.5, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Derek Kidner said, The level path is not for comfort, but for sure progress. 
as a moral term, it applies what is right or straight when the merest slip would be exploited. You ever been in a situation like that? And that, that's part of what David's saying. I have enemies surrounding me, God, and if I just make one small mistake, they're going to exploit it. It's not going to go well. One slip of the tongue, one wrong thing, and it's going to come back to haunt me. I need wisdom for this hard situation that I'm trying to thread down here. Wrestle with the Lord until he gives it to you. Verse 12, do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries for false witnesses have arisen against me and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I love that, guys. We're not going to have to wait to get to heaven to see the goodness of the Lord. We're going to get a lot better view up there. But even Paul said, right, we see it now dimly as through a glass. And when you're really struggling, I have so many times, hey, God, I just need a little bit of encouragement. I mean, I want to live on faith and all that, but a little bit of encouragement would help. I need, I need a little bit. I want, to, I want to taste and see a little bit of your goodness. And it's, it's amazing how often I pray that and how quick the Lord is to answer. And it's not usually some gigantic breakthrough revival. But it's just some little nugget. Maybe somebody calls me I haven't talked to in years. Hey, man, I just want to tell you this, encourage you, that I wasn't expecting. Ask the Lord for what you feel like you need in life. He will give it. You can trust Him. Okay? And then look at verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. We talked about this, I think, last week. The life of faith is a waiting game. And just think briefly about how we use the word wait in modern day English. If I said, hey, I was waiting on someone, we, we mean really two different things. Mm-hmm. I mean like I was waiting on my wife to get ready. Right? That's part of the job of a husband. You're waiting on your wife to get ready. You're just sitting there patiently. I know she's coming, but it's just not yet. Waiting. Okay? And I know it goes the other way sometimes too. The other thing is I could say, hey, I had a job in high school. I was waiting on this table is serving. And guys, that's a pretty good meaning definition of what the word means in the Old Testament, waiting on the Lord. There's a sense of patience. Hey, God, I'm waiting on you to show up. But it is not a passive waiting. It's not just like, I'll be on the couch watching Gilligan's Island, God, eating Cheetos. When you're ready to do something, just show up and make it happen. In the meantime, I'm going to be serving. I'm going to be working. I'm going to be faithful based on the doctrine that I believe even when I don't feel it. But, oh God, I'm begging you to let my heart and my feelings catch up. Does that make sense? All right, two examples and we're done. John Piper, when he kind of first got famous, Desiring God, I don't know if you all remember this, 1996, the book comes out, you know, delight. you need to delight in obedience. And what a lot of people did, especially college students, I had friends that did this, kind of like, well, if I wake up in the morning and I don't feel like spending time with God, I just won't spend time with God. Pretty bad application, right? And they blamed it all on John Piper. And he came to speak at Beeson Divinity School. Somebody essentially asked him a question. What do you do when you know the truth, but you don't feel like doing the truth? What do you do? Gave a great answer. He said, imagine you're driving down the road, going to a meeting, dressed nice, car on the side of the road, broken down, somebody needs help, and you just know it's like the Holy Spirit saying, pull over and help this person. But you don't want to. I'm in a hurry. I don't want to get dirty. I don't even like, you know, car stuff anyway. He said, what do you do? He said, you pull over and you help them. But, and, and here's where it's so insightful. 
Because a lot of us say, yep, just do the right thing. That's it. He said, no, that's not enough. You pull over and help them. But the whole time you're helping them, in your heart and mind, you're praying. And you're repenting of your bad attitude. God, make me love my neighbor like you love me. You're repenting of your bad attitude and you're praying that your heart would be changed. That's the Christian life. Do the right thing based on the truth you know. But the whole time, pray your heart would catch up. And it may take a while sometimes. It may take a time for the gap to close. And I hope this is really encouraging to you. In some strange sense that you have to be really careful describing, even the Lord Jesus Christ experienced this gap, did he not? I still can't get my little human mind around the second person of the Trinity on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating drops of blood saying, Father, if there be any other way, when he knew there was no other way, he helped plan it. But he was being honest about, hey God, I know the truth, I'm going to be faithful and do the truth, but my feelings, now that I'm down here at ground zero, looking into the abyss, and the people I'm supposed to save, they're not that great anyway, they're over there sleeping when they're supposed to be praying. My feelings are having a hard time being aligned with the truth. Yet not my will but thine. Yet not my will but thine. Even if the feelings are slow to catch up, I will obey you even if you kill me. And Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, he could taste it. He knew there was joy out there. And sometimes we have to live off of the joy just by faith. Looking back on the facts of what Christ did for us. Lord Jesus, we are so unworthy of you. If I had been God, I would have never saved myself. Because I've abused so much of your grace since you've given it to us. But but you are such a wonderful and merciful Savior. I pray that you would help us all to walk more in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please you in all respects. To bear fruit in every good work. God, I pray that we would be serious about knowing you and loving you with our mind. Lord, that we would be experts in doctrine. We would take it very seriously. But we would never be content for our feelings not to be aligned with that doctrine. We would wrestle with the gap so that more and more we would feel the reality of what we believe and be transformed by it and thus obey in light of it. We pray all this in Christ's name, by your mercy. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.